Good morning, good morning. Welcome to May. And yeah, we are glad that you're out this morning. Well, I'll tell you what, we thought we were headed towards summer this week. And then it all crashed back down to earth. I'm surprised there's not snow on the ground again. It's crazy out there. To prove means to show something is true. And at some point in your life, maybe it was a long time ago, but you may have used the phrase, prove it, to end an argument or to annoy another person. If you have a brother or sister, maybe your brother or sister used this phrase. Now, you might have been involved in this when you were a kid. I like baseball more than you do. Prove it. Right? How do you prove that? Now, my dad can beat up your dad. Prove it. Now, my bike has better pedals than your bike does. Prove it. My doll is prettier than your doll. Prove it. And we got all these subjective things that, uh, that we try to prove. And well, believe it or not, uh, prove it is actually a Bible term. In fact, Paul told the church at Thessalonica to prove all things. And to hold fast or to hold on to that which is good. And we're going to discover over this next month of May God's instructions for us on proving it regarding four different topics. So today uh, we begin by talking about proving your words. You know, your reputation is defined by how well what you say matches what you actually do. And even if you can fool people with your words, maybe even the people closest to you, nobody can fool God. And God really wants his children to have words that mean something, no matter who they're talking to. God especially doesn't want his name to be used in vain when it comes to our words. Whether that means using his name in profanity or that means using his name to make promises that we are going to keep. When we aren't proving our words with our actions, God continues to shape us and to mold us to have words that are pure. And he does this because he loves us, not because he's trying to punish us. Today, our sermon is going to be different than probably we've ever done. I don't think I've used this style in many years, but I believe God is leading us toward this this morning. We're going to do what's called a scripture walk this morning. All right, so... To uh, do a scripture walk, you're going to have to have scripture, right? So if you uh, are one of the people, you bring the, uh, the leather or the hardback Bible. Go ahead and raise that up. Let me see that. Okay, get your scripture walk. Okay, if you're the person who does this way, uh, phone or iPad or whatever, lift that one up. Okay, I did both. See, I'm in both crowds here. Uh, but we're going to begin in Exodus chapter 2 this morning. And uh, please uh, look at scripture with me today. We're going to stay in Exodus, and it's, we're going to keep it easy for you. Uh, there are some pew Bibles, I think, out there, and grab those too. But we begin in Exodus chapter 2 here this morning. And God has given us this information in his word so that we can use it to understand his love and to grow to be more like Jesus. Here we are in Exodus chapter 2. The children of Jacob, who were known as the Israelites, had been in Egypt now since the time of Joseph, and their tribes had grown from 70 people to hundreds of thousands of people. 
And uh, their tribes were so large that the Egyptians were afraid that they were going to take over the country. And so the Egyptians, instead of allowing them to live on their own and kind of continue to grow, the Egyptians afflicted them, and they made them work as slaves. They made them build cities. Have you ever heard of the pyramids? Right? They were built by the Jews because they made them do it. They forced them to work. And, and so the pharaohs were very rough on, on the Jewish people. And this happened for many decades. The living conditions for the Israelites were terrible. But it took them a really long time to be authentic about crying out to God. And that's where we're starting in Exodus chapter 2 in our scripture walk this morning. Exodus 2, and let's begin in, in verse number 23. And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. So the Pharaoh died. The children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried. And their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. So here they are, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had been given a covenant by Jehovah God. And they're wondering if the covenant is still in effect. God, where are you? Don't you see what the Egyptians are doing to us? Please help us. And God heard them, it says. Now, God had always been there, and God had always loved them. But think, think about it this way. They hadn't used their words. At our house, uh, we have a, a little four-year-old, our youngest. And God has blessed us in remarkable ways. We've got 20, 18, 16, four. Right? And so... Uh, we almost sometimes feel like grandparents, and uh, we hear uh, the cries sometimes of the four-year-old, just the whiny, eh. and one of the things that my wife always says to Sophie is, you have to use your words, right? You have to use your words. You can't just cry for no reason. Uh, how many understand that babies cry for no reason, right? They just cry because they're babies, and, and the children of Israel cried, and they hadn't been using their words. And so now uh, God hears them because they actually cried out to him, and they actually said, God, would you help us, and we want you to come and return and be a part of what we're doing here. They hadn't been asking for help. And uh, you may know the story in the next couple of chapters. Uh, God calls Moses from a desert in Midian to come and to take his people out of Egypt. And here's what he told Moses. These are the exact words in chapter 3. The cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. Come now, therefore, and I will send you unto Pharaoh, that you may bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And so God responded to the words of his people. And chapter 4 indicates that the people were excited when Moses and Aaron showed up. They had somebody who was going to go to bat for them. And it says that they believed and worshipped God. They said, God... Thank you for showing up. We're excited about this. Now I want to move to chapter 5 and see what happens next. So Moses went in, and he told Pharaoh, he pointed his finger in Pharaoh's face, and he said, God says, let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. 
And Pharaoh refused. Pharaoh called for the taskmasters. And he said, I want you to step up your affliction on the Jews. I want you to make it harder on them. And even the ones who were making bricks, uh, they didn't give them straw anymore to make the bricks. They had to go and gather stubble to put in the bricks. And uh, things got rougher instead of easier. Look at uh, verse number 19 in chapter 5. And I've heard some pages turning. So that means you guys are getting the idea of the scripture walk here. Okay, so verse number 19. And the officers of the children of Israel did see that they were in, in the evil case. After it was said, you shall not minish aught from your bricks of your daily task. And they met Moses and Aaron, who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh. And they said unto them, The Lord look upon you and judge, because you made our savor to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and the eyes of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to slay us. And Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. So here these people are in the chapter before. They're excited that Moses and Aaron are there. And they worship God. And they're excited to be uh, followers of God again. And now here these people are. And they're just like so many of us who commit their lives to God. And a lot of people, when they commit their lives to God, they expect that they, because they believed that all their problems will disappear. Right? I'm a Christian now. Life's going to be easy. You know, actually, when you decide to follow Christ, life actually gets harder usually. When you commit your life to serve God, your life gets harder for a while. And so many people expect that uh, because they believe that all their problems are going to disappear. And they began to ask things like Israel did. Why are things worse instead of better? Why are things worse instead of better? God, I thought you were going to get us out of this rotten place. What's going on? And so Moses tried to reassure them with the words of God. But take a peek at chapter 6 now. At verse number 9. And Moses spake so unto the children of Israel... But they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. And so the people who believed when Moses showed his walking stick become a snake, uh, when Moses put his hand in his robe and it came out leprous, and then he put it back in again and it came out normal, those same people didn't want to listen to him. Why? Because they were in anguish. They were in cruel bondage, even though they had gone from belief to unbelief in a very short time, God still loved them. God still brought plagues on Egypt to get them out of there. God continued to prove them and shape them. And now I want to fast forward. We're going to skip all the plagues, okay? All the, the fun part. And maybe you study those in Sunday school. And kids still today are blown away by the plagues. And the water turned to blood, and the flies, and the frogs, and the locusts, and all that stuff. Now, go to Exodus 13. All right, so they finally escaped from Egypt, thanks to God. And now, Exodus 13, verse number 17. And it came to pass, 
when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. So God, obviously by the scripture, God knew what he was doing. He was protecting his children from war. He was protecting his children from discouragement. But here's the thing. They didn't know God was doing this. And with the track record that the Israelites showed, which we'll see as we go through Exodus, we can assume that they're wondering, why are we going on this path? This isn't the shortest path, right? Have you ever had your GPS lady tell you a path, and you're like, she's wrong? Uh, she's obviously wrong. I've been here before. This is not the shortest path. And uh, how many of you, that's worked out really well for you? <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, there are times when we don't listen because we think something that should go easier, and we think that the path should be different. And uh, even though we claim to be Jesus followers, it's amazing how often we question his path for our lives. And it's totally a trust issue. It's really this question here. Does God have my best interests in mind or not? Uh, does God really, does he have my best interests in mind or not? And it got worse. Exodus chapter 14, verse number 10. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lift up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. So here they are, God's people, asking the question, why did we ever leave Egypt? And why did we ever want out of the mess that we were in? Why did we ever leave? And Moses, did you bring us out here just to kill us? And yes, we claimed to believe in God, and we talked about wanting to worship him, but now that our lives are at stake, we're full of doubt. And I think many of us would be too. If you had just escaped Egypt and you had barely made it out of the land and now you got to the Red Sea and it seemed like you couldn't go forward and you couldn't go to the side, you couldn't go to that side, and behind you are hundreds of thousands of Egyptians coming with chariots and swords. And you may be in the place where you would doubt as well. And so they began to doubt. And God told Moses here in, the, in this chapter to move forward, and they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, one of the greatest miracles in the Bible. Even though they struggled with their word, God still loved the doubters. God still worked in their behalf. God was still proving them and shaping them. And I want you to look at the result of all of this in chapter 14, verse 29. 
Look at this. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea. And the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. Look at verse 31. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And all the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So they saw the miracle of the Red Sea. They saw the Egyptians get wiped out. And now they all said, we believe. God, you are amazing. There's none like you. Why did we ever doubt your word? We trust in you. You're awesome. And in the next chapter, they even sang a song with timbrels and dances. And, and the women were dancing all over the place. And the men uh, were celebrating together. Look at chapter 15. Then sang Moses, the children of Israel, this song unto the Lord. Spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider are the thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. He's my God. I will prepare him in habitation. My father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And they talked about Jehovah being their strength and their song. And they said the Lord will reign forever and ever. And he's our God. And we're so blessed and we're so grateful. And then three days later, their world fell apart again. You know, a lot of times when we go through great victories, we are more susceptible to doubt than we've ever been. Because we get to the top, and then we go down. And here we get into chapter 15. They just sang, and now look at verse number 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out in the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And so they've just had a great victory, and now they're asking, What are we going to drink out here? God, if you're going to take care of us the way we want to be taken care of, you're going to have to do better than this. That's called murmuring. It's basically telling God, God, I expect to be taken care of at this level. And if you don't do it the way I think you should do it, I won't believe in you. And that's what they did. God, we want to be taken care of in such a way. And in their murmuring, in their doubt, God still loved them, and God still provided for them. Now, I want you to see that we're, we're doing this whole thing, not the scripture walk today, not just so we have something to do. We're doing it to show you the pattern. The pattern is that every time their words didn't match their actions, God's did. God still loved them. God still guided them. God still provided for them. Look at verse 25. Moses says he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statue and an ordinance, and look at this next phrase, and there he proved them. 
God proved them. God proved their words and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And here they were at Marah. Now there's plenty of water, but all the water was bitter. And God showed Moses a tree that would make the bitter into sweet, just like the cross of Jesus makes our bitter into sweet. Isn't it true that of all of our lives that are in the trial of our faith, that when we go into that trial of faith, we grow patience? See, in the place of bitterness, that's where God proves us. In the deepest valley, that's where God proves us. In the trial, that's where God tests us. Why? Because he loves us. And if there were no bitter, we wouldn't understand the pleasure of the sweet. Without valleys, there can't be mountains. Our expectations of God are measured by our own minds, not by what God thinks or plans. When we question and when we doubt and when we feel like God's looking to punish us, the truth is, is that the bitter waters are actually smack dab in the middle of the path that he's chosen for us. And he's teaching us while he's proving us. They went from there, it says in verse 27, they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and three score and ten palm trees. And they encamped there by the waters. And so they are in an oasis in the wilderness. Here's the thing about an oasis, though. You can't stay there. There's sometimes an oasis where God refreshes you, and he enables you, and he gives you the water you need, and he gives you the encouragement you need, and he gives you some shade for a while. But then you got to move on. Because the journey still has to move forward. And so here they are at Elam, and now they got to move forward. And as soon as they began to move forward... What do you think happened? There's another problem. Look at chapter 16, verse number 2. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For you brought us forth into this wilderness, to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And so they said, God, we have another objection. There's no food. You brought us out here to kill us. They're judging God's motives. Right? They're, they're ascribing to God that he wanted to do harm to them. And I love how God responds in verse number four. Look what God says. Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day. And look at this next phrase. That I may prove them. That I may prove them. Whether they will walk in my law 
or no. God says, I'm going to rain bread from heaven on you. See, God wasn't angry. He was providing for them. He was caring for them, even while they're crying and murmuring. You don't get mad at your infant for crying in the middle of the night. Well, maybe you do. I don't know. You don't get mad. You go in and give the baby a bottle, right? You go in and feed the baby. But eventually, your baby should grow up to the point where he doesn't need a bottle in the middle of the night. And God was helping his children grow up. He was going to prove them to see if they'd follow him or not. And God said, if I'm going to give you food, you need to understand and follow my guidelines. So he said, here's the food, but there's going to be some things attached to it. And maybe you've had to tell your kid before, as long as you live under this roof, Mr. or Miss, here are the rules, right? As long as you want food, as long as you want shelter, as long as you want us to pay your car insurance or your cell phone bill or whatever it is. And so God says, if I'm going to give you food, you're going to keep the rules. Now look how God did it. It's so interesting. In chapter 16, verse number 14. And when the dew that lay was gone up, so the dew that came overnight, behold, upon the face of the wilderness, there, there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it is. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. Here's what's so interesting. You know what the name manna means? It means this. What is it? Right? That's the name of it. Manna means, what is it? And for 40 years in the wilderness, they went out every morning and picked it up and said, what is it? And then they ate it. For 40 years. They never figured out what it is. They never figured out where did it come from, except from God. And they kept eating, what is it? And the children of Israel were being fed, but they didn't understand God's provision. What is it? I think there are times in our lives when we don't understand God's provision. We begin to doubt God. And when we don't understand how God's working, we sometimes think he's not working. And we, we don't immediately see answers to prayer. We begin to feel like God doesn't answer prayer. And even then, God loves us and shapes us. Look back to verse number 12. I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them, saying, At even you shall eat flesh, and in the morning you'll be filled with bread, and you shall know that I'm the Lord your God. We see that word murmurings, and sometimes we get the wrong idea. Yes, they were complaining. But they were complaining like a two-year-old does when there's no more goldfish crackers in the house. Right? They're, they're complaining about something uh, that's a surface issue. God, we want this. And so God gave them exactly what they needed, even though they didn't understand or they didn't know what it was. And it, he gave them two basic rules about the manna. All right, so, so God says, okay, I'm going to feed you every day. Uh, you go out every morning, you can get manna, and uh, then in the evening, I'm going to have a bunch of quail fly right through camp and land down by your tents, and you just grab a couple, throw them on the bobby, and uh, let, uh, they were Australian, and, and um, they, 
Well, they were Jews. But, and, and then you'd eat that for dinner. And at one time, God had to prove his point because uh, Moses said to God, God, how are you going to give flesh to this whole people? There's two million people out here. How are you going to give flesh to that? And God said, do you doubt me, Moses? And God brought in so much quail. If you're a hunter, you're going to love this. God brought in so much quail that across 60 square miles, the quail was over a cubit high. That's 18 inches. All right, that's a little bit of quail. Right? I mean, how many, you know, chicken fried quail, well, quail fried quail. I don't really know how you even say it, but you say, they say chicken fried steak. Why does everything have to be called chicken fried? Why could it be quail fried quail? How many quail could you eat at one city? The quails aren't very big. And God said, I'm going to provide for you exactly what you need. But there's two basic rules. Rule number one. Don't take more than you can eat in one day. Okay? Rule number one, moderation. Learning how to get the right amount on your plate. Now, how many of you still struggle like me with this one? All right, if you go to a buffet or you go to a potluck, uh, which I hate the name potluck, but if, if you're going somewhere where there's just an assembly line, a yeah, smorgasbord, whatever it is, and you get whatever you want, still, to this day, I still, my eyes are bigger than my stomach, right? It's figurative. You guys are looking at my stomach like I don't believe it. <laughs> it's figurative, okay? It's figurative language. So, so that's the first rule. Don't take more than you can eat in one day. Let's see how they handled that one. Okay, so verse number 20. See how they did. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left of it until the morning and it bred worms and stank. I like that word. It's by word. It stank. And Moses was wroth with them. That means he was angry with them. So rule number one, they failed. Some of the people got more than they needed. The next morning, it was full of worms. And there's nothing worse than a pile of what is it with worms in it. Are you guys with me? Like, first of all, I don't even know what this is, but I know it's full of worms. What is it has to go. Get it out of the tent. Okay? And if you ever have boys who hunt, sometimes you wonder that same thing. All right, so here's the next rule. And the other rule was on the sixth day, I want you to go and get twice as much as normal so you don't have to gather anything on the Sabbath. This is God's second rule. Let's see how they did with that one. Verse number 27. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day for to gather, and they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? God gave them two rules, and they broke them both. God gave Adam and Eve one rule, and they broke it. God gave us ten rules, the Ten Commandments. And guess how many we've probably broken? Well, according to Jesus, we've broken them all. Because if you've ever hated somebody, even for one second, you've committed murder. And if you've ever lusted after somebody, even for one second, you've committed adultery. And I know you've borne false witness. We got really quiet. I wasn't, like, attacking you. I'm just saying we're all liars. Okay, I have two. Um, and, and so uh, we have ten rules, or whatever amount of rules there are, they're all going to be broken. And you know why it is? 
Rules can't save us. Law can't save us. The rules and the law are there to show us we need something bigger to save us. We need a savior to save us. Because when we try to prove salvation by our words, we can't do it. They couldn't do it. We can't do it. Here they are in the wilderness eating what is it. And they talked a good game. But there was always present within them a lack of trust in God. A lack of faith in God's plan. A lack of faith in God's men. A lack of faith in God's rules. We get to chapter 17. Verse number 2. Now they went to Rephidim. And at Rephidim, it says the people did chide with Moses. Okay, that means they talk smack. And they said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, why chide ye with me? Now you moms should learn that. Do you ever have moms who learn Bible phrases? This would be a great phrase for moms to learn. Why chide you with me, child? Right? I like that. Why chide you with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And even back thousands of years ago, there were people who misjudged motives. Now this week, uh, a bill was passed in the House of Representatives uh, about health care. And immediately a group of people went out and said, they're trying to kill children. And they want people to die in the streets. It's been happening for thousands of years where we misjudge motives. And here they're misjudging the motives of God Almighty. They're questioning whether or not he wants good for them. Look at verse number 7. And he called the name of the place... Massah and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, now look at this question, is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? The God who had made bittersweet, the God who had led them to an oasis, the God who had provided them manna for bread and quails for meat was being doubted again at Rephidim. And now they ask, is the Lord among us or not? Even though they could open their tent door and see God's pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night, they questioned his presence and his motives. And I'm telling you that we struggle with the same doubt. We struggle with matching our words up with their actions just like they did. God, we believe. In the very next breath, God, you didn't do it according to my expectations. God, you didn't meet my standards on this. Our words fail. Not one of us has been proven to be without sin in this area. We've all gone out of the way. God says we are together become unprofitable. There is none that does good. No, not one. Now, here's the thing. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt, okay? I don't think that the Israelites intended to be disobedient. I don't think they intended it. 
they probably didn't intend to be complainers. I don't think that they intended to be doubters. But they were. Because they were immature. And immature people focus on things that aren't really important. They make things that aren't really important really big. And they take the things that are really big and they don't even think about those. And they were deceived and they were struggling again and again and again. And so are we. And, and I know this is horrible news. And our scripture walk has showed us that we've got problems. Our scripture walk has showed us that our words fail. Even when we intend to do our very best, we still mess up. And so today's big truth really, I hope, is good news. Because we're going to turn the corner now. And we're going to say this. Even when our words fail, God's words never do. Even when our words fail, God's words never do. We can trust that his plans for our lives are good, even when we don't understand them. We can trust that his way is perfect, even if we aren't sure why or where we're on the path. In the last 30 days of Moses' life, he gave to a new generation of Israelites all the words that they would need to succeed in the promised land. And I want you to listen to what he told them. And, and just think of this, okay? Uh, if you are imaginative and you can imagine this, right? Imagine me as Moses talking to you right now, okay? I know it's really hard because I don't have a robe on and I'm not 120 years old, okay? And I don't speak Hebrew. But just imagine that I'm Moses up here and you don't have a scroll. Nobody's opened their Bible. They've never seen this written before. Moses is speaking this in the last 30 days of his life. And here's what he says to them. All the commandments that I command you this day, observe to do. That you can live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swear to your fathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to prove you and to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and he suffered you to hunger and he fed you with manna that you knew not. Neither did your fathers know that he might make you to know Listen to this part. That he might make you to know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord does man live. And Moses is telling this. These are some of his last words. And he speaks this to them. And he says, listen, you guys are focused totally on the wrong thing. Man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by the word of God. He lives by God speaking. Our words fail, but God's words never do. We are alive today because of his word. Creator God spoke the world into existence. Creator God said, let there be light. And light flew out of his mouth at 186,282 miles per second. Have you ever considered the reason 
that we doubt God is not because of God's limitations, but because of ours. You know, people who aren't trustworthy in their own words, they have a really hard time believing other people. They have a really hard time trusting other people and they question everything. You know why the human race questions God? Because it has been proven time and again that our words fail, but his never do. And that brings us to today's faith challenge. And this is where we want to bring it all together. Why we did the scripture walk, why we talked all this through. You might say, well, wait, if God's words never fail, why is it that he constantly proves us and tests us? I'll tell you why. God proves us and tests us because he loves us. The Bible word for this is refine. It says that God is like a refiner's fire. And God takes us like silver is refined. And he puts us through heat to remove blemishes. And he shapes us to be conformed to his image. And testing is what makes us like Jesus. My child, if you're going to ride your bike alone in the neighborhood, first we have to prove that you can even ride a bike. My child, if you're going to cook dinner... First, we have to prove that you know how a kitchen works. My child, if you're going to drive the car, first, we have to prove that you're ready for the road. Now, think about this. Do we say those things to be mean to our kids? Absolutely not. We say those things because we love them so much that we don't want them to crash on the bike. And we don't want them to burn themselves on the stove. And we don't want them to get into a life-altering accident. We love them, so we prove them. We want to make sure they're ready for the next step. And God loves you. That test in your life is part of his love. That proving, that refining, that shaping. You might view it as punishment. But God views it as love. You might view it with questions. But God sees the big picture in mind. And because of the tree, God makes bitter into sweet. Did you know at Mara, which we read about, the perspective changed in a moment? Minutes before, here they were, upset, devastated, complaining, that they had come to water, but the water was no good. And after Moses threw in the tree, perspective did a 180. Now the water was sweet, and they were drinking it, and they were filling everything they could with that water. Same place, same conditions, same people, different view. And here's how I'd like to finish today. Would you allow your view of testing to be shaped by the cross instead of by the conditions. When you're going through the valley, when you're going through the struggle, put your eyes on the tree instead of on the bitter water. Put your eyes on Jesus, the Savior, who turns bitter to sweet. And even I've seen people who are going through dark valleys 
that are filled with joy because their eyes are on the cross instead of the conditions. Don't allow your view of God to be determined by your circumstances because he's the God who allowed those circumstances to prove your words. And he wants to prove your words because he loves you. Let's bow today. Father, thank you so much for each one who's here. And I pray that you give us the right perspective today on trials, on shaping, on proving. As we saw this morning, you prove us because you love us. You prove us because you have good plans for us. I pray that you would help us to trust in you and believe in you no matter what the circumstances may hold. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Stick around.